Welcome to Tech Together's Founders Journey Series. In this series, we sit down with the founders and leaders of today's leading tech startups. You'll learn about their founder's journey and what it took to build their current business. For today's episode, host Alex Norman is joined by Kevin Kleiman, CEO and co-founder of Humi. Okay, so look, um, why dentists and when did you decide to leave to start InstaRadio, which I think was your first startup? Yeah, uh, great question. So I grew up in a family where my mom was a dentist and my dad was a doctor and I have three cousins who are dentists and my sister's a dentist. And if you wanted to have a happy life, you had to be a medical professional of some sort. And that was just the rhetoric that was pushed from day one. Um, I'd always been very entrepreneurial and was actually deciding between medical and dental school and decided to go the dental route because I thought I could be more entrepreneurial at it. Um, it didn't, I didn't wait to become a dentist to start doing the entrepreneurial things. I had a number of startups, uh, like one before college. Um, I, I had a couple of like little web-based businesses during dental school, a couple like yeah. in the dental, uh, space. And, uh, by the time I like fully graduated and was like licensed dentist, came back to Toronto. I worked for my mom's practice three days a week. The rest of my time was building stuff. And so I, at that point, I was pretty sure that I wanted to build software uh, startups. And um, I wouldn't say it was a pivot as much of, as it was a like stopgap. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, you sort of took care of the family tradition, but all along you wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. Um, and then, like I said, I think the first one I think you got funding for was Insta Radio. So tell me about that idea, how you came across it, what you did there. Mm -hmm. Um, so this Instagram was the first, um, business endeavor that wasn't like a bootstrapped startup that was meant to be like venture backed and like it to some like really large scale. And the idea was that we were going to be able to democratize audio production in the same way that Instagram had done for photos or YouTube had done for videos. And this was at the like very outset of the app store and like iPhone, uh, revolution. It's, it's interesting when you look at clubhouse. And what that is in the kind of um, the massive climb up and fall that it had, Instarito was very similar. Uh, it was hmm. pretty much the same product, but maybe five, six years earlier, uh, maybe even a little bit uh, earlier than that. And we had a like huge boost at the uh, outset and it didn't sustain. Um, there are a lot of challenges with audio um, and like long form audio. Obviously, we're on a podcast, so... Yeah. They, it has achieved a certain scale, but in that world, it's very hard to uh, get viral adoption, which is kind of what you need for a social mobile app. Also, you know, these types of businesses tend to be very binary in their outcome. And there's somewhat, you know, to a certain extent, they're like lottery tickets. Uh, there's a small handful that have massive outcomes and almost all of the other ones pretty much do not have an outcome. So it's and either sent so, or Instagram or it's not. Yeah. And so it wasn't Instagram. It was um, not. <laughs> how did you handle that? And how did it eventually lead to Humi? Because it's like, a, I hear, you know, the uh, Instagram for voice doesn't lead me to thinking that this person will start an HR people SaaS business. So explain a bit of, when you realize it wasn't that lottery ticket, what happened? And then how did you end up co-founding Humi? Yeah. Um, 
So the end of that business was extremely stressful. Um, I had never taken money from investors and was kind of beside myself that, you know, in thinking that I was going to lose all the money for all these people, we had only raised a seed round. So it wasn't a like, relatively speaking, it wasn't a ton, ton of money, but still like people trusted me, like put their faith in the business and there wasn't gonna be outcome. I was extremely stressed out in communicating that and winding the company down. Um, but like all of our investors were really, really um, great about it and understanding the how it led to Humi is a lot of mostly born out of my frustrations in building that business. You know, I had to go out to market and pitch these bullshit vanity metrics that like weren't weren't real and they give weren't. Example. Give me an example of bullshit vanity metric. What, what were you pitching? Oh, it was like listeners on a stream like within a month. You know, like things that like were so loosely correlated to revenue, like the thing that actually drives yeah. a business forward. And I had this desire to be one like evaluated on like true progress of the business um also like not that i didn't want to take investment but i didn't want to solely depend on investment to build the company and at the time SaaS was just really coming of age uh and there were two companies at in that moment who were the fastest growing SaaS companies of all time you know the other companies have surpassed them since but one was gusto and the other one was called Zenefits. and understanding the more I learned um, through case studies about those two companies, the more I fell in love with the business model um, because I had a like inherent belief from the outset that people were the thing that was most important to mo to like the majority of businesses out there. You know, like for the couple of years that I worked at my mom's dental practice, she had been running that for thirty plus years. It was very obvious that the per customers, the people who like really enjoyed being uh, patients there, loved the people within the business. It wasn't just my mom, it was the people who worked at the front desk and the hygienists and the assistants and everybody. And the idea that we could build something to support uh, that part of companies for what is kind of the largest employer class in Canada was really inspiring uh, and the catalyst to starting the company. So you had something that you were passionate about. You had something, a business model that felt like would address the frustrations of the previous startup. How do you go about finding who to build this business with? That's a good question. Um, I had, I just went to my network and went back to the people I built uh, trust and social capital with and who I believed were talented or who could recognize talented people. And I just started hanging out, asking for meetings, going for walks trying to be helpful to people and um matt who i would eventually like start the company with it was interesting he was kind of in the exact same bucket as i was uh his startup was a social mobile app it was a TikTok competitor in, like the very early days of TikTok. Yeah. it was clear that he was an insanely talented person um our value sets were very much aligned we both wanted to you know, work on interesting problems that got to like a significant scale. And, um, you know, it was really interesting here. And to go back to the social capital thing for a sec, his co-founder, when he was running his previous startup, was living in a house with five or six people, just grinding it out, living on the couch. like not. And yeah. at the time, I had like this great apartment um, 
you know, because I was also dentisting uh, or had been a dentist, so I was able to like afford a decent spot. Uh, but I was traveling a whole lot, and I effectively let him live in my apartment rent free for months. And a lot of the kind of like love built up between the two of us really translated to Matt in trying to convince him to start Humi with me. And so I don't know, long way of saying like do nice things yeah. for people without you know needing anything back in the Carmen. moment. They yeah, exactly. It, it tends to come back around in some way, shape, or form. So you have a co-founder, you have an idea. What did you do next? How did, did you validate it? Did you go look for funding? You know, did you I think you went through YC, did you apply to YC? So how do you, what was your first step to actually incorporating or did you incorporate, what did you do to launch Humi? How did you make it official? Yeah. How did you go about it? Uh, it was actually three or four months before we incorporated, uh, went straight to talking to customers. So I had a decent network of people who ran businesses. And so I just went and started talking to them, asking them what they did and, um, you know, showed them this thing that exists in the States. And if, if I built this, would they come? and become customers. In fact, it's one of the ways I convinced Matt to start the company with me. I have a friend locally whose family owns a large business. Um, I estimated that as a customer, they would generate $30,000 in annual like revenue for us. And so my promise to Matt was, let's start this thing. We have $40,000 of revenue from day one. The hilarious part about that is it took us six years <laughs> to sign them on as a customer. No. Uh, yeah, it became this like hilarious running joke for years that like they were just about to sign, they were just about to sign. Um, but yeah, and, you know, even when Matt joined. When, when, when they signed, did you did you celebrate? Did you have like- We did, we went out for a steak dinner when they signed. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, so, yeah, so you were validating with customers and then what was next? Uh, just start building. You know, we'd meet every day somewhere we pull out the laptops um we would make our list and we get to work and at at the outset it was just understanding what to build um and who we could effectively like sell it to you know like the first customers who came onto Humi, uh matt and i had to go into their office and you know matt had to type their information directly into our database <laughs> Yeah, so true minimal viable product. So maybe for people that don't know Humi, because we're actually a bit into this conversation, um, what do you start off doing in HR space and what do you offer now? Mm. So the, the idea has remained the same since the outset, but the feature set and the components of it uh, have changed over time. So the idea is to build, to help companies become employers, the same way Shopify gives this like magical black box. So a company makes them a good, that makes them a great merchant. We want to do the same for Canadian businesses and helping them employ people. So within our box, it's uh, HR uh, software that helps people manage HR. So it's onboarding, time and attendance, uh, time off policies, running payroll, uh, supporting a health benefits plan, doing performance management, recruiting people, dealing you know through an applicant tracking system. But when we first started, we looked at the market. We saw a whole bunch of standalone payroll products, yeah. but nothing for HR and nothing for health benefits. So those were our kind of like the tip of our tip of the spear, like our wedge to getting into the market. The intention was always to build the full suite. And that's what we've done uh, over the last like seven, eight years. So I imagine the head of HR, or if there's no head of HR, you know, one of the C-level executives loves having you guys there. Um, and one thing you've mentioned a couple of times, what? 
I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, one thing you mentioned a couple times is this is a Canada focused product. Um, what makes, you know, there's advice out there for lots of founders, especially in Canadian ecosystem, don't target just Canada. I think that's all advice you've seen you guys scale, well, simple scale and a few others, you know, that are predominantly Canada, but what makes Canada different than the States in this case? Um, why is there Canada only opportunity here or Canada yeah. first up here? Um, I think I, there's no stock answer for Canada or not. I think it's a more yeah. amount of what is the market here or what was the market generally and what's the path to 100 million in annual recurring revenue look like? Um, for us, a big part of the opportunity is around the regulated financial products that are naturally integrated into the employee system of record. So payroll and health benefits are the two biggest, most obvious ones. In the States, there are 2,000 different payroll providers. In Canada, there are nine because it's a huge pain in the ass to uh, bring a new payroll product to market. Uh, that and like the health benefits side is kind of a similar story. Uh, when you look at the Canadian market, they are about 1.2 million SMBs and, you know, something like 70, 80% of all employment lives within that snack bracket. For us, um, the financial products within Canada are a massive, massive market with very little competition. So you mentioned well, simple, and they're kind of in the same bucket. When you look at the, I think six or seven biggest companies, six of the top 10 in Canada, yeah. They're all financial institutions, financial institutions who sell commodity products that haven't evolved much over the last mm -hmm. number of years, which is why it's a massive opportunity for like, you know, companies like Humi and Wealthsimple uh, and Float, you know, who are yeah. operating. You know, if I was building a um, enterprise SaaS company that's focused yeah. on like Fortune 500, just doing Canada would is unlikely to be uh, a good strategy there. But so, for us, it has this great combination of mode, but also like a significant market. I, I love it. There's structural differences and regulatory differences that let you enable a better product for customers. Um, now, talking about, you mentioned evolution there, or evolved. Um, you started this, hear me, eight years ago. The world, the, the relationship companies had with their pe people feels like it was completely different. Um, a, there was less software, but B, I felt, you know, it was pre-COVID, everyone was predominantly in office, now you got distributed teams. Um, you've got different, I think, different relationships with our, with employees, or maybe you don't, so maybe you can correct me here, but like, how have you guys evolved and how have you seen stuff change? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think for the last number of years, it's changed for the better, generally. And we've gone through some crazy cycles of uh, labor demand, of it being like one of the hottest hiring markets of all time and then it cooling off significantly. But I, like the trend that I've seen is people better understanding the value um, within their employee base and it being correlated with the success of the company. Uh, you know, before Humi started, um, Salesforce and CRMs were very widely adopted, but HRESs and, you know, employee system records weren't. It was just a much clearer uh, connection between revenue and the success of the, you know, revenue tracking and the success of the business. I think a whole lot more people are coming around to the idea that um, how the employees are supported, um, you know, really matters with respect to how the business does. And how have you guys been pushing innovation into HR and changing the ecosystem? Hmm. 
Yeah, um, I'm not sure if I, so the value that we can add for most people uh, isn't to do more HR things, it's to focus more on the business itself. I love and that. so like, there's so many disparate systems and things that you just need to do to employ people. And, you know, the mindshare required to fulfill those tasks is less when using a single system that ties all that stuff together. And so like, when I think about like how we've helped people invade the way they support the people, it's in like taking a person whose job was to focus on the people and reduce the amount of time they spend in a spreadsheet by like 80%. So they could think more about who's on the team, how you onboard them, how you support them, how you create better incentive plans, um, how to better like align the, the employee base with the company end goal. Um, so yeah, like we haven't necessarily changed the way people do performance reviews or onboard yeah. people, although like you know digitally versus not, and, you know, citing like uh, digitally versus a paper is, is somewhat of an evolution, but it's more so in how people get to spend their time when they think about like supporting people and being an employer within Canada. So we've, we've talked a bit about the product and how you're serving your customers. Maybe let's talk about the journey from that first, you know, first customer, first conversation to now. So like guys go about starting the business. Um, when did you know you had a real business and when did you start scaling the team? Like, it's <laughs> a good question. Um, when did I know? I'm when very, uh, yeah, I, I'm generally like a very optimistic person and I'm fairly certain like the moment I thought of building this in Canada and, yeah. and knew this was a thing, it was a real business. <laughs> awesome. Uh, probably well before it was a real business for better and for worse, you know, I think being uh, ignorant to a lot of the challenges you're going to be facing is kind of an important part of committing to, you know, some journey. Um, and, and sorry, what was the second question? Well, then when you start, like, when did you start, you know, when you start building a team, how'd you go about it? Like, hmm, yeah, interesting. So uh, we actually didn't raise money for the first year and a half of our operations. What was really interesting at the outset I figured out that as a benefits broker, when you broker a plan, the carrier um, that you broker it to will pay you 90% of the annual commission upfront. It's <laughs> <laughs> nice working so, capital. Yeah, it's nice working capital. Instead of having to go out and fundraise from day one to start the company, I was able to run around the community and like you leverage the social capital I built up in the bunch of years before starting Humi to, to beg and plead for people to make me their insurance broker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we used that capital to um, hire the first couple of people, uh, you know, to progress a lot of the things that Matt and I were just handling at the time. And that helped us get to the point where we could get to YC and then raise a formal seed round. And then you raise that formal seed round and you start scaling. So what was, I guess, how's your role changed since then? Like imagine that point you're doing almost everything and how do you go about, how's your role changed and how do you make sure you have the time to change what you do? Yeah. I feel like it changes every week. <laughs> I guess that keeps uh, it interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like at some point I did sales at some point I did prospecting at some point I did like customer, support. I, I think it's really um, awesome that I had, I've had the chance to dip into those things. 
the, the way we do all those things now is way better. And the people who do them are much, much more effective than I was, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's good to have the appreciation and understanding uh, for what those people do. Because truth be told, you know, I think that a lot of the frontline work that gets done, companies like ours, is in a lot of ways harder than the stuff I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, it can be more of a grind, more stressful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I guess over time, it's it's being like increasing leverage, adding employees to do more things and to help them be able to, you know, to get employees underneath themselves to expand the scope of what we can build and how we can sell and market and all that good stuff. And uh, how many people are you at now? 145. What? 145? <laughs> Wow, didn't realize there's so many. So you, you go from a startup with two co-founders to 145 people. What's the unanticipated, what's been easier than you expected growing the team? What's been harder than you expected? Mm. Everything's been harder. Uh, so there were a lot of like very simple assumptions we made when I started this business. Zenefits went from like a zero to a billion dollar company within like three to four years. And so when we started this, I was like, yeah, we'll be in like 10 million revenue year one. And then like 15, you're like, it was just so far off. Yeah. Reality. Uh, it was so many learnings with respect to like building uh, for our market and finding the product that actually resonates and like mm -hmm. understanding which um, size of company to focus on and like the feature set that would be impactful for the, those particular types of customers. There were a zillion learnings that I just, you know, it taken a long time and a lot of pain to figure is, out. Is there any that are generalizable that you'd share with any founder? Like that anyone's about to start a company that you think is not spoken about that you should share? Uh, not spoken about? I don't know. I like. I think the advice of like, go hang out with your customers uh, is really good. I, the more time so, you can spend with them, the better. Um, and I think that's just, a, yeah. Just that. So how, how often do you spend with your customers? Do you do like meet with a customer once a week, once a month, once a day? Uh, probably less than I should. I, I don't have a formal cadence yeah. of doing it, but I have this like interesting legacy. Um, well, so there are a number of people within the community who've been, you know, great enough to come on to Humi as customers and have been around for a long time um, that I'm always in contact with. I love being in the community and going to events and talking with people yeah. who are on the product. Um, but, you know, when shit breaks and or people have frustrations and they're in the network and, you know, like I've onboarded them or supported in some way, they tend to come right back to me. And so there's enough of those that I get them on a consistent basis. <laughs> so, um, so does anyone ever phone you up and go, hey, man, you made my life so much better? Or is the only uh, feedback, positive criticism? It's interesting because when when I meet somebody uh, at an event and they tell me they're a Hubie customer, you know, as, like in management, running the day, 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 you tend to hear a whole lot more about the issues than you do about like the things that are going right. So I tend to lead off with like a, Hey, like, thank you so much. And by the way, if we fucked anything up, I'm so, so sorry. And 95% of the time people are like, what are you talking about? Like, it is great. Like we love the product. Um, but uh, I, you know, you just, 
so much of your time is focused on issues and problems, <clears throat> it can be very easy to forget how many like happy customers you have out there. Yeah. And what, what's, what's next for you guys? You know, new products, new customers. Oh, I guess there's always new customers, I hope. But like, if we're, if we're sitting down in five years, how's Humi change? How have you, you know, what, what's different with you? Yeah. Uh, so right now we have 150,000 Canadians who are employed through the platform. Five years from now, it's going to be a million. And it will, you know, we will have the same uh, promise and um, you know, mission that we started this company with, but there'll be a whole lot more depth to the product um, and features that help Canadian companies be really good employers. And, you know, I, I think this is the thing that differentiates us from the others in the market. There are a bunch of different providers that are 120 different countries or like really big, multinational. Uh, we are exclusively focused on Canada. And I think that we're going to find a number of nuanced things that really resonate with customers um, that help companies run better and, and better support their people. And so hopefully I'm still running this company and are able to like continue to invest in really interesting new things that help the companies on the platform. Um, but who knows? So I, I love that you have ambitions to continuously make lives of your, the, you know, of your customers, employees better, and that you're focused on Canada only because I imagine there's lots of little nuances that people don't appreciate. Um, and a just random question: with so many people on the platform, do you have a good feeling for the economy? Like, is is there any, any day you can say shit? Like, hey, like I'm, I'm sure in 2021, you, you, when the market was crazy. You, you, there's just so much activity of employees being added yeah. or is that just you know me trying to find some interesting stats or i mean to a certain extent yeah um yeah. we are pricing like other SaaS companies is per seat and um you know we don't see a ton of churning companies but we often see you know additions or contractions yeah. when the hiring market is very hot and so you know um during covid and when hiring got really hot we saw a huge expansion within and then when the markets fell off, we saw a lot of companies go the opposite way. Should also say that um, are like a good number of the companies who are on Humi um, are white collared salaried office work. That that's okay. our, that was like the first uh, customer set or you know a vertical that we started with. Yeah. So it, it, it's not fully representative of the like larger economy. You know, like during COVID, a, a lot of the um, the hourly workforce has got hit really hard. Uh, we were just lucky to service uh, a subset of customers that were in that bucket who could do the remote work and, and continue to grow. Okay, so any predictions about the economy? No. <laughs> no idea. That's, that's, a, that's not a good way to go. Um, just a couple of questions about, you, you've been around this ecosystem for a decade plus now. Um, what do you think we do right in Canada and what do you think we can improve? Um, yeah, uh, I love the ecosystem. It's, it's such a small, intimate group of founders and builders. I think that we tend to oversell the ecosystem, you know, um, you know, North and all this stuff. Okay. We try, I think we put ourselves out there as being more mature and bigger than we actually are. Um, you know, like the thing that we really need and that we're kind of getting to is to have companies 
that have started from the earliest stage get to true scale. And for us to have a subset of, um, it's, it's not just an outcome for investors and for founders, it's about the whole like set of like people within the ecosystem that are absolutely vital for getting people to scale. It's the directors and VPs and the like eng teams and the you know people who do product marketing. You know, the experience of scale is so important and it's something we don't have a ton of in Canada. And it's the thing that can have exponential growth for our community. Well, I hope you're one of the companies that gets there and that you know soon hiring some you know. Not that I'm encouraging anyone, but someone says, oh, it's an ex-human employee. That's a good sign that someone's seen scale. Yeah, um, listen, one of the proudest things that has come out of our company is the number of people who've gone on to do like really awesome stuff, either like in their own companies or at other companies. Um, well, so, so very proud love of that. Yeah, you know, so, so I guess you hire entrepreneurial people, so and probably it helps feed the ecosystem. Anything I should have asked that I haven't asked? Ah, that's a good question. Um, I, I if, if you can't think of it, just have one more. Um, yeah, yeah. We, haven't, what do you got? we haven't touched on the topic of the day or the year. Um, the, the generative AI, um, how's how do you think that's impacting your products or the HR space? Do you have a strong yeah. opinion on it? Have you seen it being used? Uh, I don't have strong opinions yet. Um, obviously, the technology is amazing. Uh, it will first impact our company uh, operationally. So, you know, internally, if somebody wants a license for ChatGPT4, Perplexity AI, or any of these like interesting tools, we're very happy to purchase and support that for people and are very encouraging of people building these tools and the advantages of them into the way they work. There's so many interesting applications of generative AI, you know, AI generally yeah. within the employee system record, you know, mostly because of the data we sit on and secondly, because of like what it can tell you about a company. So I, I haven't seen anything in market from any of the companies in our space that is particularly interesting, but I'm sure. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it really is just a matter of time. I mean, we have so many things to build and, um, It'd be interesting to see how quickly that progresses. That yeah, I'll be watching, and I guess if anyone is doing it in Canada, it'll be you and Yumi. Um, Kevin, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I love the openness and hearing about your journey and which perspective you have um, and building a successful business. For people that are listening, if you've listened this far, you can subscribe to our newsletter to know when the next episode's dropping. And please uh, share this episode with a friend. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Alex. It's always a pleasure.